taking care of all of those things. So taking care of my team and seeing how stressed and burnt out and, and the struggle that they shared and not understanding that that wasn't all my responsibility because I felt like it was, right? Like I couldn't make their life unicorns and rainbows and clearly I should have been able to, <laughs> um, even if I couldn't do that for myself. So it was, it was, and it, it's about the perfectionism too, right? Like we can do all day long. That was Dr. Leanne Benetti on this week's episode of the People of Veterinary Medicine podcast. The People of Veterinary Medicine brought to you by Luca Veterinary Data Security. Greetings, DVMs, practice managers, vet techs, support staff, veterinary consultants, and podcast enthusiasts. Welcome or welcome back. In this week's episode, we are talking with Dr. Liam Benendetti. I'm I'm totally butchering your name, and I make this mistake all the time that I always ask, I should ask beforehand on how to actually pronounce their name so that I can better do these introductions. Note to self. However, I really think you're going to enjoy this conversation. Um, Leanne was just such a breath of fresh air, and we talk a lot about figuring out the idea of how to make things more about the life stuff, and we talk about the balance of how how to identify yourself and what that means and does there need to be this hard line between your profession whether you're a dvm and a practice owner a practice manager a vet tech in your personal life or how do we balance that or is there some sort of gray scale and then we look at some of the problems that we're having within the social fabric of human existence right now and how some of that rolls over into our practice and how it affects other people and how for Leanne, it, it all came crashing down and what what turned out to be like heart attack, like symptoms and kind of this, for lack of a better term, you know, coming to Jesus moment for her where she's like, something has to change and I need to do something else. Um, not out, something else outside of, not outside of practicing medicine, but she needs to approach her herself and the way she works and this idea of work and, and self and what those lines are and those boundaries are, something had to change. Um, there's just so much, I mean, we went a little long on this podcast, but it's just sometimes you get those people that just spark so many ideas and thoughts in your mind. And for me, it was just such a growth moment. Uh, there were so many things that she brought up that really resonated with me and I think really helped me in a lot of ways. It's almost like I was getting free coaching, right? Uh, being on this show, but I hope it does the same thing for you. And there's a, you get a lot of realizations out of it, or maybe it helps you in some way. And at the end, we talk about this idea, how do you even start to recognize that maybe there's a problem, which I think is really important for us in cybersecurity and data protection. It's like, we would love it if you would call us beforehand, you know, before things become a problem so we can help you never get to that crisis moment. And I think with Dr. Leanne and her coaching business, it's the same thing. It's like, how can we start to recognize the problems are starting to pile up and start to work on those problems before they become bigger issues and explode into something that leaves you on the floor in the middle of your practice. So with that being said, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. All right. So yeah, so thanks for uh, 
taking time to join me. How how are things in uh, on the other side of the border? Uh, things are uh, Ontario's in its worst position yet in the COVID world uh, in our province right now. So um, we're nowhere near what the U.S. was at any point, but still, it's the worst position we've been in. So uh, it's highly charged. Let's put yeah. It that way. <laughs> it's ironic that you mentioned that, like. Uh, you know, at night, like I don't watch a lot of actual TV. Um, so like, I just have this routine, like it's probably not good for me now that I'm admitting this, like and thinking about this out loud, but I just like, uh, well, like I have my little iPad and I just flip through it, uh, before I go to bed and I usually like skip through, you know, like see what interesting things I can find on YouTube or whatever. Yeah. And there was this whole video about Canada and how now this is what I heard. So again, it, it could, couldn't be true, but I heard that like, um, you know, the police have the right to stop you and verify that you're, that you have somewhere that you need to be. And so that came out uh, last week or the week before from the Ontario government and was quickly rescinded and verified and validated that that was not the point of what was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, certainly there's like checkpoints between provinces and on roads to prevent travel. Between. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. So almost like checking interstate travel. You guys aren't states or provinces. So exactly. checking inner inner province travel. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's I mean, that's got to be tough because I mean, you've. I mean, for all of us, you know, I think about myself personally and I think about the struggles of being kind of isolated for so long yeah. and you think about the just the mental struggles you deal with and sometimes the pent-up anxiety or um just this kind of weight on your shoulders and then yeah. you know i have this this like monthly mandate we call it although we talked about that we're going to change the name because in the calendar it says mandate and we have like female staff <laughs> i was like is that like offensive you know <laughs> so actually my buddy who comes he had he checked with his uh one of his assistants or she's like i'm not sure exactly what her title is but he asked her he's like what do you think about that? She's like, actually, because I know it's who it's with, I think it's really sweet. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, total tangent there. But anyways, it's like you, when you get the time to hang out with them and, you know, you just miss that social interaction. And um, so, yeah, it's got to be tough to have been so long and then now to be in this really lockdown state again. Yeah, yeah. I, I can honestly say, like, the when when April hit and the numbers were starting to play out like they projected, everyone's emotions, no matter what they were, like whether it was gratitude, kindness, anger, frustration, sadness, didn't matter. They were all magnified like by a hundred. <laughs> um, so it was. It's been a pretty intense month for sure, especially yeah. in the clinic as I have recognized with clients, and you know they're tired of dealing with this and nothing's easy and it's just yeah it's really frustrating yeah it's uh it's it's yeah it's interesting it's an inter it's an interest you know it's hard i think it, what's really hard about it is uh, a colleague of mine he got it and he got i mean really 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 sick i mean he almost didn't make it out so bad and he's still oh. dealing with some stuff on this side of it mm -hmm. and you hear that 
and then like uh, one of my staff, uh, Logan, who's on our team and she's our director of customer success. She got it in the middle of that, like gnarly store snowstorm that happened in Texas where it never snows. So they had no oh, power yeah. for like the whole time she had it. And for her, she was like, she didn't feel good. She had a sore throat and it was kind of like, kind of like having the flu, you know, mm-hmm. but came out the other side just fine. And so it's like, and then what is it like? 80% of people who get it don't even realize they have it and they're just spreading it to other people. And Something it's like just that. such a spectrum. And it's like, I don't know. I'm so cynical about politics and government anyways. <laughs> you know, I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, we're letting these people make the decisions. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we've seen that show up too. We've in the last couple of few weeks, there's been some rallies around. We need our rights. We need our freedom. We need all of this. And then yesterday news got out that a 13 year old, the first like teenage young person, 13 years old in Ontario died um, from COVID. So yeah, which is rough, right? Yeah. It's this spectrum of it's, it's such a big spectrum of yeah. Yeah. Stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what's that? There's like some crazy disease or virus in Africa. That's, uh, is it like Ebola or something like that? It's, it's, uh, but it's only transmitted through, I think, like, I think, um, I forget, maybe it's like just through feces or something like that is, yeah. is how you contract it. And then somehow it has to get under skin, but it has like a death rate of like 80% or something ridiculous. I'm, I don't know the exact numbers. I'm probably blowing that way out of proportion, but I know it's really high and it's really, really deadly. And so it's not like that, right? Where it's like, right. but it, but yet spreading like a cold would, cause that would be just detrimental. And you'd be like, Oh God, we got to, sh- what do I don't want to see anybody? <laughs> right. Um, yeah. It's, it's, but then on the other hand, you have people that, you know, that some people it does, you don't even know that they have it. And then you have other people where it kills them. It's like, it's just the, it's the darnest thing. It really is. No yeah. rhyme or reason. It doesn't seem. <laughs> yeah. <time>. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, there's a lot we could talk about on this com in on this topic. Yes, <laughs> <there> <laughs> <is>. <laughs> for that, <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> um, so yeah. So if you're ready to get into this, um, I'm ready whenever you are. Yeah, give, I'll give it a whirl. I don't All know. Right. Like, I'm trying to. I don't know if your video is going to be on or not. But is that an okay situation? Oh, I don't. I don't. I just use the video, so it's more of like a natural conversation. But I just scrape the audio, so yeah. So don't worry about looking perfect or perfect. <laughs> anything like that. Yeah. All right. Uh, God knows. I mean, look at me. I mean, I'm. <laughs> just, uh, <laughs> you, know. you look just fine to me. <laughs> All right. So I really only have, well, I have two canned questions, one at the beginning and one at the end. And okay. the first one I always like to start with is, you know, how did you get your start in that bed? Were you one of those people that knew from a young age or were you like me where you just fell into the industry? No, I was definitely in the category of like six years old and decided, you know, that I wanted to be a vet and, and that was that. Um, at this point, I don't remember why. I don't remember <laughs> much of, of the details around that, but it seemed like the path for sure. So that's, uh, that's the path that I headed down. So, yeah. So, I mean, you knew at a young age. Mm-hmm. And then where did you go to vet school? Uh, went to vet school at the University of Guelph uh, in Ontario at the vet college here. Yeah. Ontario okay. So, so interesting when you went, like, there's this big topic and debate around this idea that, um, 
and I guess I can see it firsthand quite a bit, but it's like you go to vet school to learn how to be a doctor, mm-hmm. but you really don't learn about much about the art of doing business. And veterinary medicine is very much a business, right? Mm-hmm. And you owned your own practice for a while. So, I mean, what was that journey like? I mean, going from, I mean, when you graduated, were, did you just assume you're going to be an associate forever? Did you want to specialize? How did you end up owning your own practice? Um, yeah, I certainly, there was no business training. I think now there's a very little bit of business training more around like what should be in a contract and, uh, you know, what would be expected, uh, in terms of salaries and benefits and all of that kind of stuff. I'm not sure there's still much around like running a business. Um, when I graduated, um, I I had an inkling that I wasn't going to be an associate veterinarian for my entire career. Owning a practice seemed like the end goal, um, but I really had no idea how I was going to, like no plan for that and no pl- timeline plan or anything like that. So um, it that piece kind of just morphed over time based on experiences and practices I landed in and and how all that how all that rolled. So what was I mean like what was the catalyst? I mean cuz I'm assuming you're working as a an associate for a while and then at some point you're like okay, I'm going to pull the trigger on did you buy a practice that you're working at or did you kind of jump out on your own and start your own practice? Uh yeah, I jumped out on my own. Um so I started in mixed animal practice and I know there does seem to be from a little bit I know a bit of a difference in the Canadian veterinary world from the American veterinary world um, based on the people I've met. Many of the American um, veterinarians or veterinary students that I met, it seemed almost to be their second profession or second degree or set like it didn't seem like you went from high school to your, you know, two years of vet, uh, pre-vet school, then vet school, then out. Like they were much more mature, much had been through other, like one was a firefighter in the first profession. So there was, there's a, um, a maturity and, and more that had been done by the, by my American counterparts that I've met oftentimes, like business degrees and other things. Um, here, the, the majority, and I'm obviously there's exceptions, but that's the, tr- that's the path. It's high school. Then you try and get into vet school, whether that takes a year or two or four, three in my case. Um, and then you're in vet school for four, then you graduate. So in my case, graduating 28 ish was like, then, then it's about life, right? It's about maybe getting married and having children and all of that kind of stuff. So um, mixed animal practice, not necessarily amenable to family life and young children. Uh, so went from mixed animal practice to small animal practice, um, had my family and then uh, decided to go out on my own and start a house call practice, uh, mobile only. And that was a relatively novel thing back in the day. 
that I started it. And in my head, that was going to be a part-time thing that I could run my, my little children around like two and two and three or whatever they were at the time. Uh, and it turned out to not maybe work out that way because we got to full time within the first 18 months to two years. <laughs> um, so that kind of blew up in a good, good way and kind of blew up in a busy way. Um, but that's kind of, I think it revolves around other life things having to happen in a relatively timely way if that's what we want to happen, right? So that's how it played out for me anyway. Yeah, other life things. And it's interesting. Yeah. (laughs) So I would love for you to elaborate on that because, you know, you said when you, you know, you graduated at 28 and then it's about life, but then you said maybe, right? So, and then, so there's obviously, there's like this, there's something else that, you know, maybe it's about life. Um, And then you kind of concluded that, that sort of with this idea of this, you know, other life thing. So, yeah elaborate on that elaborate on that so now in hindsight it should have been way more about life things um then it was about me being a veterinarian and how to fit the rest in around it um and that i think is a bit of a revelation in the hind- in the hindsight um, piece because really it's so easy and so common for any of veterinary professionals, and this is my opinion, to become that, right? Like I am a veterinarian becomes I am a veterinarian and not much else matters. <laughs> so the maybe piece is, yeah, how do we realize that we are actually human beings with husbands and wives and partners and children and parents and all of the other friends and community members and all of that and be true to that, what feels like a calling and that true I am a veterinarian. Um, that I think is a challenge and, and it's not a conscious awareness all the time. And that's where the maybe comes from. It wasn't a conscious awareness for me at all. Yeah. So like you always hear this thing, you know, this idea that it, um, I think I even saw like a commercial or something about it. And it was, uh, this guy, you know, he was, or it was, um, it was like a sitcom TV show. And the guy, mm-hmm. and I had just, like, I think I was just flipping through the channels. And if I remember the scene correctly, there's like this relationship struggle between the husband and wife. And the husband is like standing at the door and he's like, but you know, it's because I'm a surgeon or whatever, you know, and he's got, mm-hmm. he's like this high, r- highly regarded heart surgeon or whatever, his, whatever his role is there. Mm-hmm. And she looks at him and she says, you're not a heart surgeon being a heart surgeon is just what you do. Mm-hmm. But I think that's interesting because I think that does it, I mean, does it necessarily have to like, do we have to have this dichotomy between my personal life and my work life? Like, do I have to be two separate individuals or is there this somewhat of a, a gray area where it's like I can be myself naturally 
when I'm not working, but also working and be passionate about the things that I do while earning a living or in trying to build a hospital or whatever, whatever the case may be is? Um, I think that that's a great question. And I think that in terms of right and wrong answers, there's, there isn't any, but I think that's the challenge, right? And that's the challenge around all this wording around work-life balance versus work-life integration versus work-life, like whatever we're doing, we're trying to figure out how those two things fit together (laughs) and trying to acknowledge the importance of both of them. Um, And that's great when you, when you have an awareness that that's what you're supposed, like that's what the healthy thing to do is. And I think, you know, in, in my awareness, I, I did, I kind of forgot about that. And I, and I don't think I'm alone in the people, you know, that do that. It's just, you can become very focused on, you're right. It's, it's not, it's, it's what you do for a living. Right. And that's almost like when you said that, that's like a dagger through my heart. Like that heart surgeon was like, die, you've just put a dagger through my heart. (laughs) It's just what I do. Oh no. It's like, it's so much bigger than that for so many people. Right. Um, but yeah, fundamentally that's true. Right. Yeah. Which, which is, in, you're right. Cause you're, it is. And what I think is interesting to bring the, you know, to tie in the vet med side of the thing, this is I've heard from a lot of people who work in like the, the wellness space and actually, uh, Dr. H Howells, she's here in Colorado and she works for the, she, what I think she's still working for the CVMA and she does some other stuff as well. But mm-hmm. when I had talked to her, I think late last summer, she was talking about this idea of like being able to leave your job at the door and really this like this separation of really being able to separate it. And then also for people who like on your, unlike yourself, if you, mm-hmm. if it wasn't your sick, you know, your calling since elementary school to be a veterinarian, to be okay with that mm-hmm. and not try to force that idea. Right. But on the other hand, like I can see that, I guess, you know, again, I, maybe I'm, I'm creating my own dichotomy that has to be this blended situation or it has to be one or the other. And maybe again, it, it, there's a spectrum of experience within people's lives and how they treat their profession, regardless of what industry that's in, whether it's vet med or, or being a banker or whatever. Yeah. And being able to, I guess, maybe where the, maybe where the power in that comes in is being able to understand where you sit on that, that spectrum. Like, is it more important for you to be fully integrated with your work, work, or is it better for you to have boundaries and, and set limitations on what you do and understanding that before we had chatted a little bit and you had talked about that you kind of had had this like breaking point. Yeah. So like, as I'm thinking through this for you, was it, there was no balance. It was like all work, all nothing. And you had, didn't set enough boundaries or. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Two things are coming up for me as I'm listening to you talk. And one is the concept of self. Uh, and the other one is the concept of responsibility. And to answer your question directly from in my particular case, 100%, there was no balance. 
it was all about work, all about clients, all about patients, all about paperwork, all about like everything other, every other hat we wear as veterinarians. Um, and, um, there was, I lost sight of self myself. So from the perspective of like the self-awareness, self-management, emotional intelligence piece around self and social and all of that, um, I was like kind of, I had lost sight of everything to do with self and taken on all the responsibility that wasn't mine to take on. So it's this double whammy effect of, um, being responsible or feeling responsible for all of the things and not being able to be good at or dedicate enough time to any of them. Um, and in the meantime, losing sight of myself completely. And so therein lies, you know, there, that's the recipe for disaster, that perfect storm, perfect storm for that breaking point. Right. Yeah. What, yeah, I have a couple questions there that, <laughs> that, that I think are, are, I think are really important because I think the first one is, the first one more, stems around the idea of like, what, what is the definition of self? How do we even start to define that? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, what I think is interesting about that and people who followed along with my podcast, if they're still listening at this point, um, (laughs) I'm a total theology nerd and I spent a lot of time studying Buddhist theology. I still, to this date, I actually just picked up a new book. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name, but, uh, Brad Werner, that's his name. He actually, he's, he's done a really good job with the works of, uh, Doga, uh, Shobo Genzo, which was written by Dogen. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically the guy who brought Buddhism to at, at the time was a completely unrefined farm. It was basically a farm country at that point and not a lot of, which is crazy to think about Japan, total side moment here. Cause you think about like, just like i'm i'm obsessed with coffee culture and stuff and the japanese are so meticulous and there's this guy that i follow and it just seems very japanese like he won't open until the all the temperatures on the machine are perfect he's dialed the shot in and it doesn't matter so he's like i try to open by you know six in the morning but if it's not right it's not right so it's just interesting to think about before dogen you know when dogen walks into japan it's just this like wild wild east (laughs) you know Um, but I guess where I went on that tangent again, total squirrel moment, <laughs> um, is this idea that, you know, in Buddhist thought is the idea to lose yourself, right. To, to understand the impermanence of everything in life, including yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I would love, I would love to hear your thoughts more on this, on the idea of defining, like, how do you defining yourself and what does that look like? And then for you, how is it that you realized that you had lost yourself? Like you had lost the, this idea of self and then it was, you were completely unbalanced. Right. Um, hmm, great question. So that, um, hmm, how to best explain that? So the concept of self for me, is actually quite recent in terms of being able to like 
put words to all of this. And again, in hindsight, now I realize that is what happened. So as I understand it now and think about myself, and this comes from, I think, some of Buddhism teachings, um, my Reiki practitioner um, role and that kind of connection to universal something <laughs> um, and the ability to um, understand it and engage with it or at least be aware of it. Um, you know, so as I relate all of that now, self is about that. So it's what I know about myself, what I trust about myself, that I need to respect myself, that I am capable of trusting myself, um, validating myself. Um, you know, it's how I talk to myself, what I think about myself. Like it's all of those things related to self. And now at 52, as I stand here, that's where I've gotten to. Um, the, when I lost sight of all that is when I didn't really, I didn't even know which end was up more or less. I just knew that, um, nothing was working and life was really hard and everything was hard. Nothing was easy anymore. Even just being a veterinarian, not, and I don't mean just being a veterinarian, but the technical competency piece of veterinary medicine um, was hard even. And my why, I lost my why. So there's where it's like, it's like I did that. I loved being a veterinarian. I loved going to work every day. It didn't feel like work. It's what I, it's what I did and it's what I loved and it's who I was. And it was so much about relationships and building the relationships with clients and patients and, and all of those things that, um, yeah, I, I think I just, I, I put so much weight on those outside things that I forgot how to put like, or for, forgot or didn't know. And there's an interesting piece of how the veterinary profession shows up. And maybe we don't, maybe that's one of our things is that we don't know, <laughs> we don't know ourselves. Well, um, that was, that's, that's how it all played out for me. And I lost myself in thought, my thought chain there a little bit. So I don't know if I really truly answered your question. But um, in my case, it was, um, I had been working so hard for so long in such a stressed out state that I truly, like it was an adrenal fatigue or an adrenal overstimulation, stress cortisol maximized in my system um, that I literally physically had the symptoms of a heart attack one day walking into my clinic um, and went down on on a knee when my receptionist looked at me and said are you okay I couldn't even answer her question just her asking the question like just took me down um, and so I didn't have any awareness around any of that other than I knew my body told me like my body said you're done until you sort this shit out. <laughs> so that was what I had to do to sort the shit out. Do you feel that you had any of these, these, pre was it more the pressure of practice ownership and 
do you think that had like a compounding effect on it? So kind of getting back to this idea that yeah. we, we talked about earlier, where it's like, you know, you went to vet school to be a veterinarian, but you didn't really go to learn about the accounting side and all this other stuff. So had you been an, an associate, do you think it would have been a slower burn to that point and you maybe would have gotten there anywhere anyways? Or do you think it was more had to do along the lines of jumping into now having the weight of the entire practice on your shoulders as well as like the care of your patients? It's a good question. I I think it would have been probably a slower burn um, and brewed along a little bit more slowly and it all still would have happened. It was the practice ownership piece it, it, it wasn't necessarily, and I'm grateful for this. Um, and I know it's not that way for many other people, but, um, like the, the financial piece and the financial responsibility and, and that kind of thing, the accounting, the bookkeeping, that's all, you know, that was all well and fine. It was the, re- it was the responsibility of, of, um, taking care of all of those things. So taking care of my team and seeing how stressed and burnt out and and the struggle that they shared and not understanding that that wasn't all my responsibility because I felt like it was, right? Like I couldn't make their life unicorns and rainbows and clearly I should have been able to, <laughs> um, even if I couldn't do that for myself. So it was, it was, and it it's about the perfectionism too, right? Like we can do all day long. We're very good at doing. We can, and we can learn how to be bookkeepers and accountants and, and do all those things. It comes back to the being. It really just comes back to the being piece for me. Um, it's really hard to thrive at doing. Um, if we can't be well and healthy and have all those things related to self. You know, what's, what, what is interesting is, you know, A, it's a perfect segue because I had, I was curious how, you know, you started to talk about the effects that it had, you could see that it had on your overall staff. Mm-hmm. But what I find unique is that you said is, you know, this idea that the perfectionist side of everything and being able to do everything and do it everything perfectly. What I think is interesting about that is a lot of times I'll look through like, um, you know, like if I'm on LinkedIn, it's it's the only social media side I'm on. But yeah. if I'm on there and I see, if I see one of my colleagues or you know, uh, what their their company's hiring, a lot of times I'll look to see how they position the ad and mm-hmm. what are the requirements are. What I find really interesting is it's like, are you, you know, it's like are you do you have attention to detail that's like always one thing that's in there yeah but then the list of requirements of things that you need to juggle and manage like a million pages long yeah so i'm like how can somebody have attention to detail on so many different things like as i read through this article i'm like no what you need is somebody who can is good at you know has a high level understanding of all these different areas Mm -hmm. but can work with people who can be very detailed in these specific line items of things. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's interesting that we as a society, and I, I see it all the time in job postings where I'm like, how can you expect somebody to be 
a perfectionist in a million different tasks. Right. Right. I understand my own limitations, right? Like, um, you know, I'm super thankful that I mentioned her earlier that, that Logan is on, is on her team because she compliments me so well because I am that person who I love to, I know my weaknesses and I always talk to her about being better organized, right? Like I'm always like, how are you doing that? I need, I know it's my weakness. I'm not good at it. Like, I'm not super great at the organization or the operational flow or how we should do things more effectively. And so I know that you're good at that Mm -hmm. and I need you to fill my weakness, right? Like I know the areas that I'm good at and this is just, isn't one of them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So a, I would love, I mean, I guess they're really, they're really, I, I guess I'm kind of just agreeing with you on that, this idea of this, like, we expect ourselves to be perfectionists. And I see it in society as a whole, and it almost seems to be a societal problem. But what I would love you to talk about more is how was, you know, how did it start to affect your staff? Um, and then how did you go about correcting it? Um. I think that I don't, well, first of all, I don't know that I did correct it or did well at trying to correct it. What I, as I was beginning to understand what some of the issues were, which is what you speak of quite clearly there, which is understand each and understanding our weaknesses and our strengths and understanding um, how to leverage each other's instead of name, blame, judge each other's. <laughs> um, therein lies, I think, in many of the veterinary teams that I've um, encountered. And in general, like through vet school, like through every, abundant is more of the like, why don't you, why can't you do that better versus mm, not my strength? How about I leave that to you? Let me know if you need any help and I'm here to support. Um, and so that to me in the, in the realm of teamwork, um, not veterinary medicine strength either, because again, it goes back to we're not familiar with it. Like we just were most, many of us are introverts. <laughs> we didn't really, you know, learn how to interact with people. Well, it's probably why we ended up wanting to work with animals. Um, we don't have that concept of like self and social awareness and management. Um, and we want to do everything perfectly ourselves. And we've been trained and taught to do it that way. So not so familiar with uh I'm good at this, you're good at that, let's work together. <laughs> um, new concept. And so try and trying to like foster that kind of environment is is challenging, especially when we're so busy doing, right? Like and COVID has made that abundantly clear is that the man, like you don't even have time to say hello to each other, let alone have a conversation about how to interact as a team or, you know, however. So yeah. It's about strengths. It's about strengths awareness of strengths, managing strengths, learning how to be agile, using the right strengths and not getting bogged down in places where you don't have to. Agreed. Yeah. What is interesting, you know, you talk about this idea of like not even wanting to work with people and I can't tell you how many 
that, you know, whether it's the owner or the associates and you're like, you know, how do you like, how are you liking uh, curbside? I love it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I love it that the pet parent stays in the car and I just work on the patient. Yeah. And I think that is such an interesting part of vet med because I think vet med, so much of it is a human problem, right? I mean, mm-hmm. navigating the whole challenges of how much we're going to charge for our services and how do we not be afraid to say that we think this is the best course of action, even though we know it's terribly expensive. Mm-hmm. All of the, this whole host of problems though. I mean, these aren't animal health problems, right? I mean, we, if money wasn't an issue, it would just be like, cool, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. And we're going to, and we would just leave the, I think interesting as I'm thinking about the out loud, it almost seems like if we could, if we removed money as a whole, it'd just be like, okay, cool. Something's going on with my dog. I'll drop him off. <laughs> Dr. Leanne, it's up to you. I'm leaving to you. Yeah. You figure it out. You, you go for it. Yeah. But it's, that's not the case. And it's very much a human. It is very much a, a people problem business. And yeah. so many veterinarians don't like the people side of it. Mm-hmm. And then back to the point that you made, you know, like the struggle of understanding what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. Actually interesting to bring this back to the Japanese con- uh, topic there for a long time in the Japanese business world. I can't remember what it was specifically. If it was that, you know, these businesses would pay for you to go to school or whatever. And then you'd go work there, but it was like lifetime employment. Like, so you, you could not get fired. And what's interesting is they were still widely successful. And so they, I don't, I think that has, that process has now gone by the wayside. If somebody lives in, is Japanese or lives in Japan, love to be, love to hear how it works now. But there's, um, I was reading this article and they were talking about, well, how did they make it work? And it was, again, it was about this idea is like, okay, they brought somebody in and then they leveraged their strengths, right? So they looked at what is this person good at and where can I put them to be successful? Mm-hmm. And, and then where now we, it seems like the, in the West, we all, we all so often look at like, okay, what are your weaknesses are? You need to get better. Mm-hmm at it. Right. And I'm like, for me, I'm like, I could, I could work really hard at being the more organized person and having everything laid out perfectly and, and really work on operations and all this stuff, but it doesn't get me up in the morning, you know, like it doesn't drive me. Right. And I just know that, and I know that and Mm -hmm. I'm okay with it. And Mm -hmm. I just know that if our company is going to be successful, we need people who are good at that. And I, but I have to be able to give them the autonomy to make, to do those things and to make those decisions. Uh So how do we go about, yeah, I mean, how do we go about (laughs) even understanding and realizing our own strengths and then not lean in that? And I think, but understanding our strengths, but not dwelling on our weaknesses. Right. Yeah. Um, I think it's that that's a great question. Um, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to some extent to say and grateful to have finally learned, um, you know, at around the age of 45, the whole concept of, you know, these things like 
personalities and these color assessments and disc assessments and communication styles and all of that stuff. Again, like mind blowing because that's not at all like no idea. And it all makes so much sense now. So for me, that's where I have largely put my focus is not so much worrying about what I can't do. Um, more engaging with what gives me energy, what brings me joy, what gives me that fulfillment and what I'm good at. Um, and then trying to find ways to, you know, balance off the other pieces. Um, and that is through like, so I work with an assessment called tilt 365 and that whole model is based on agility and tilting literally to context so you know what strength might i need in this situation and how do i leverage that and what do i what is going to be my challenge in that department um and so as a coaching tool and a coaching resource that's one thing that i use a lot and my left brain veterinary folks have had given me huge feedback about that as being really helpful because it it gives language and concrete words and, and, um, pieces for them to, to understand and work with about themselves. Um, yeah. Yeah. So elaborate more on this tool. I mean, being able to tilt, like for me, it automatically brings up the idea of like being able to pivot and being a little bit more agile. You know, like we talk about this idea yes. of in software, your MVP, you got to have your most viable, your minimal viable product, and then you got to be agile and you got to be able to pivot with the market. Yes. Um, yeah. So explain how, yeah. like, do you have a use, like, could you give like a use case or an example of, you know, how this might work in somebody's life? So in, so it, it, they, so those, so that model is based on character strengths, character science, which is about the being piece, right? Um, and tightly related to core values, also about the being piece. Um, and wrapped up in that are things like emotional intelligence and interpersonal skills. So in the veterinary setting, I, the agility piece is, you know, in the anesthetic room, I have to tilt into the strengths of focus and diligence. Um, when I'm talking to my client about euthanizing a pet, I need to access empathy and trust and openness. And when I'm running the business, I need to, you know, be very high level thinking, ideas based and very results driven, right? So, and that's kind of the model is it, 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 you tilt and you're, and the goal is agility. So you really are, you know, and it's a wobble board. So it's literally like a half circle on the bottom with the thing that you stand on. So it's this literal image in my head of like, okay, when I'm communicating with clients and we're talking about their care and, and all of that kind of stuff, it's really coming from that heart. It's tilting towards the heart. And sometimes I have to listen to my gut and that's like boldness and confidence and happens to be not much my strength, but none of that's, you know, and there's the boundary piece, right? Like, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, no, I, you know, I'm not responsible for that. That's your shit. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, it shows up in my opinion every day, all day long. 
in the um, veterinary world. And it also kind of highlights how when you are, when you have your natural strengths, you also show up in a natural stress pattern, right? So I happen to show up in that like focus, diligence, integrity place. So no wonder I take uber responsibility for everything. And micro, you know, I'm perhaps accused of micromanaging and being obsessive over details sometimes and very set in my ways and resistant to change. Yeah. <laughs> That's me to a T. Um, and knowing that about yourself and knowing about that about other people. So you can watch for like, Oh, you know, it's a behavior that's showing up, but the underlying reason is they're stressed. How can I, how can I help? showing up in that from that place of heart to help them versus saying, you know, you need to do better at that, or you need to stop doing this or or whatever. I don't know if that answered your question. But that's, that's how it shows up for me in veterinary medicine all day long. It's all about in how interpersonal interactions, clients, teams, yourself, everybody. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, before we started the conversation, I think is an interesting kind of loop back to this idea that we were talking about how, you know, you're in Ontario and you're kind of in this very restrictive environment as far as being, being social. And it is, it, it's an interesting, it's interesting because the more, oh man, there are so many things I could, like my mind is just running, like, having listened to you think about this idea of being able to tilt, you know, I, I imagine that like workout ball, like the yeah. half Bosa ball or whatever it is. That's you know? exactly like, what it is. That's the model. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. And you're just like, yeah. cool. You know, I got to like be, I got to do that. You know, like I, yeah. I can totally see that flow, but what, where my mind immediately goes is I've really been fascinated with the work of the center for humane technology. And mm -hmm. they've really been looking at how, the how we as a, like how we as a society have really seen a lot of degradation with, with the advent of certain pieces of technology, mm -hmm. namely social media. Um, yeah. One thing that I think is a really interesting, you know, sometimes correlation doesn't mean causation, but you know, you, you look at it and you look at the state of the world and, and then I, and again, it's hindsight picture, you know, looking back and I'm like, Oh, it totally makes sense. Mm. But, you know, I think like social media came out, was on, it became available on the, on the smartphone in like 2009. Okay. And at least in the US, we see this political divide go from like where we're, we're very overlapped. You know, there's a mm -hmm. lot of people kind of in the center of both ideas. And mm -hmm. then every year it slowly does this, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it gets so, 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 so far apart where there's very few of us who are now open to the idea of being overlapping and sharing ideas. Right. But what I think is interesting about that is that there's this site, there's been a lot of psychologists and there's actually a guy who wrote a really great book on it and I can see his face. And actually when I see his face again, total scroll moment, but like my wife, when she sees his face, she's like, I just want to follow him around. Cause he has like these long dreadlocks and these like big black glasses and like thick, thick glasses, you know? So like his eyes are like really magnified, you know, <laughs> Yeah. but he just, he's just like so soft spoken and. And yeah, interesting guy, but he talks about like, like losing, losing these tools. We're losing these tools of how to interact with each other. Mm -hmm. And to listen to you think about it, to listen to you talk back to this idea of like, 
these social cues and, Mm -hmm. and how to lean into your strengths and interact with people in the right ways and, and picking up on what, what other people are going through and all these problems. Mm -hmm. It it sounds so basic, but sometimes it's like, we just need to get back to like learning how to be a part of a community. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with you. I a hundred percent agree with you. And yeah, I mean, I don't, and I, I don't necessarily have the answer, but I mean, I think it's, well, <laughs> actually, <laughs> yeah. If yeah. you figure it out, let me know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, like to, to talk about the technology piece, I think it's interesting because I think there, that social media has a lot of great things. Like I do, like I love to be, it is great to be able to, or it was great to be able to hop on there and, and like see your friends on vacation and mm-hmm. oh that's awesome it looks like you and your kids are having a great time and to be able to like kind of keep up with people without having to have a million phone calls yeah but then i think about the idea in my again like what we were touching on a little bit before is just this anxiety of being isolated and some of the things that come along with not having interaction with with more people and and feeling a part of that community and then I started to think about the story you were telling and it's like, it seems like maybe for you or, or others that mm-hmm. they can get to a point where you're, you're running a practice, you're trying to do these things, but and you're kind of almost self-isolating mm-hmm. and you're losing control of these social skills. There are a bunch of people around you, but you've lost the disconnect with how to talk to them and how to communicate with them and how to be really a part of the community within your own practice. Yes. Um, I think that's a hundred percent true from the isolation standpoint. I think it's very easy to create that ice, that feeling of isolation. Um, wow. What am I trying to, what's come? I'm trying to explain to you what's happening in my head right now. To me, I was, others may argue. I feel like I was still showing up. I feel like I was still doing my work. I feel like I was still engaged with clients. I feel like like when I was on, I was still on. And it wasn't authentic at all to me, right? Again, it comes back to that. I had no idea. Um, I had no idea that I was not showing up with intention or purpose or authenticity. I was in a constant state of reaction not response and thoughtful action. Um, and there, therein, that is my responsibility. So in the grand scheme of what I, when I say I was sorting the shit, <laughs> that's literally, so recovery after the heart attack, whatever thing happened there, the, you know, take six weeks off, think about your life. I realized that that's how I had to sort the shit. So, um, I would literally with almost everything that ha- everything everyone said, did, thought, feeling, everything. I literally had to decide whether it was mine to own and I was responsible for it. And it was something that was I truly needed to be responsible for, which were my actions and behaviors or someone else's based on assumptions, beliefs, and all those other things that were happening. So yes, it, it, that living in that reactive state in that inauthentic place where you really don't know why you're doing what you're doing you're just going through the motions that's that can be very isolating for sure 
Yeah. Yeah, going through the motions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What is what I would love to hear? You touched on a little bit, and uh, I hinted a little bit earlier. It's something I'm really fascinated with. Is this idea of? And there's probably a lot of people who disagree, but that's okay. Um, and I'm not here to try to convince anybody, but I'm very much interested in the like the spiritual side of you. You know, you, you talked a little bit about like your Reiki practice and some of these other things. Like how did that how did that like how did that play out in this whole event? You know, like when you when you kind of start to deconstruct your life and you're going through this deconstruction process, mm-hmm. how did that aspect of your life did it come did it start to flourish more or yeah, how did that how did how was that involved? at that time? Another great question. I think at some point, I honestly had asked myself or convinced myself that there had to be more to life than this. Right? Like there has to be more to life than going through the motions never feeling good enough, never feeling done, never feeling any sense of accomplishment or any of that. And so I think that that mere thought in my head was like, okay, you're probably right. Let's go try and find it. (laughs) Um, And by it, I don't really even today know how to explain that, but there that is definitely where there was a moment that that's where the, there was a moment of shift there. So I remember in high school, in university, as a biological science student getting into veterinary medicine, you know, it was all about evolution. And if you couldn't see it or touch it, it wasn't real. And like all of the evidence and science and all of that kind of stuff. And, um, in that moment. And so that was, I was like, again, I was 45, right? Like I'm, I'm at a stage in my life where I think like, okay, there's, there's more to it than this. And, and that's where really kind of learning and exploring and reading and going out and sourcing other people and, and elders in the native community. Um, and those kind of folks that could shed some light on that and connect the evidence and the science and my left brained thinking with that other world that again, other people may not agree with exists, but I'm pretty sure it exists. Um, and learning how to, how to feel it and, and work with it and, um, yeah, harness it to some extent, I guess, or leverage it. I don't know what the right word is, but, um, yeah, it just came from a, a, a <laughs> The, uh, the mere understanding of, man, there's got to be more to it than just this doing, the doing piece, right? Yeah. Yeah, there's a, I heard this, um, there's an independent journalist that I follow regularly, and um, he was interviewing this guest in there, and somehow they started talking about the idea of spirituality and, and this idea of the capital G-O-D, God. And um, what was interesting, it, I think it's a great little story, but there's a priest and a big storm's, storm's coming in and you know, like everybody's like, dude, you got to get out of here. Your house is going to flood. We got to go. And he's like, Nope, I've got faith in God. Like I, God is going to take care of me. 
And so he's praying and praying and the water fills the first floor. And so he moves upstairs and a boat shows up a little, a little dinghy boat, you know, they're in a little rowboat. And I like, come on, man, get in. We're here to like, we got to go. And he's like, Nope, I have faith that God is going to save me. And then it fills to the roof. And then he's sitting on the roof and a bigger boat comes by and this bigger boat's like, get in. There's plenty of room. We can get you out of here. And he's like, Nope, I have faith that God is going to save me. And I keep praying and it's going to happen. And finally he's standing on just the top of the, on just barely on top of the, the chimney and a helicopter comes and they're like, get in. We can save you. He's like, Nope, I have faith that God's going to save me. And eventually the guy drowns. And he meets God and God, he's like, God, what happened? I had, I believed in you. I had faith I was going to save you. And he's like, I sent a dinghy. I sent a ship and I sent a helicopter to save you. And you didn't take any of them, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think it's such a great story because I think that when I look back at on things and actually like one impact, one area of my life, I had, I had lost this job and it was devastating to me. It was like, it was really, really hard. Um, I didn't understand why there was, I, I just had so many dreams of grandeur of, of this place. And I believed in everything that we were going to do. And I really, and then when it all came crashing down at, in the moment, it was like devastating. Yeah. But when I look back on it, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Judeo Christian story, but there, a lot of people are familiar with the story of Exodus and how God like, there's this line in Exodus where God says he hardened, hardens Pharaoh's heart. And this idea that Pharaoh was on the cusp of doing a lot of these things to the Israelites at the time, but God just kind of hardened his heart and said, essentially kind of released the chains on the dog to say, go for it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times for me, I'm like, it was almost like in that moment, God was hardening the heart of, you know, my superiors at that organization because God, he or she, or whatever you want to call it, knew that there were so many other things. Like looking back on it in hindsight, it was the best thing to ever happen to me. Yeah. And I wouldn't take it back for the world because so many amazing things came out of that. But in the moment, I couldn't see it for what it was. Kind of like this, this flood story, you know, it was like yeah. I couldn't see that here was my lifeboat. And if I just get on, things are going to be rough now, but they're going to be a lot, lot better later. Yeah. And so many times, you know, like when I talk with people about this idea of spirituality and some of these other things, it is, it's about this empirical thing. And for me, there was so much of it was like, if I didn't open up my heart to be able to see some of the, without other, without trying to put a label on it, I mean, it just seems like divine intervention. And however you want to label that, I'm, again, I'm not here to try to proselytize. I'm just sharing my own experience, but I feel like it is such an important aspect of our lives and it can be very, really, really impactful um, and can really, I think, really help you through a lot of these tough ta challenges and, and things that we face in life. Agreed. Um, I agree wholeheartedly. Like, there's a lot of things that people can call coincidence or synchronicity that some other people can think of as like, okay, this is a sign or a signal or a, you know, something like that. And I don't know, like hope, hope and optimism are not strengths for me. Um, <laughs> and those are the things that actually maintain my hope and optimism. Like if I can actually be in alignment and be open 
to observe however that looks or feels or sounds, um, those synchronicities and those things that we can't put a name to or touch or feel, um, then I feel like that's where hope and optimism comes from for me, for sure. Or at least one of the places without doubt. Yeah. You're, you know, like you talk about this idea of like, it helps give you hope and optimism. Mm -hmm. And for me too, like when I look back at it, when I look at it and whether I'm delusional or not, you know, like for me, it was even if, even in my own delusion, if it is a, if it is all a delusion, it just random chemicals in my brain, whatever. Yeah. It still was very, very healing for me because when I'm able to look at it from a perspective of like, this divine mother or divine father, whatever. That's like, look, I'm disciplining you right now, but only because I have such greater things in store for you. It allows me to take that, that hatred and that anger mm-hmm. for the people in the, in, in that situation and all the resentment. Mm-hmm. And it turns it into, and for me, it turns it into grace, right? Because at that moment, I'm like, I'm so grateful for you. Like in, at the end of the day, like I'm so grateful because if you didn't make those decisions, which, and then also there's like a little bit of it as like, well, it wasn't completely under your control. There was a little bit of divine intervention, like helping you make these decisions that maybe you probably would have made anyways, but there was a little bit of a push. Mm-hmm. And then I look at how like so many things were perfectly aligned for so many other better things to come out and to do so many other things that I didn't realize I could accomplish in such a short amount of time yeah. that it's, it's, it's so, yeah, it, that's the only way I can say it. it's just such a healing, powerful grace that it just allows me to re it completely reframes the situation for me. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that was a goosebump moment. I, I think that that's, that is very, very well said. It's, uh, it does. It gives you opportunity for grace and gratitude and opens the, opens your heart for that healing and that compassion and self-compassion and compassion for other people, for sure. Um, and I think too, it also opens the path for one of the other big learnings on that kind of spiritual line for me was this concept of like, it's a, life is not linear, linear learning. It's a spiral learning process. And that spiral is, yeah, we're going to revisit things. We're going to have so many different opportunities and so many different ways to learn the same lesson or to learn it different, like to learn it deeper or, you know, unpeel the onion or however you want to look at it. That, that, that really does, um, you know, that, that fits well into that thought process that I hold as well, for sure. So how do, yeah, you, you talked about this idea of, like it gives you like hope and optimism. Like it's almost like hope and op- optimism is not your, you said it's not your strength. It's one of your <laughs> no. weaknesses. Yeah. So how do you lean in? Like, how do you lean into that spiritual side of you to gain better hope and optimism? Like the actual, like the actual how, like, how do I do that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah. I, well, cause like, I think it's, I think it's interesting because yeah, what actually what I think is really interesting about even framing it that way is that you talked about this idea of like for a lot of us in vet med, things are so empirical, mm-hmm. right? It's like, 
if I can't touch it, see it, measure it, feel it, whatever, it doesn't exist. But yet you potentially have a tool that you can't touch necessarily touch, feel, measure. Right. That they that helps you that helps to cover your weaknesses, right? Almost like how I talked about you yeah. know, Logan, she really helps to cover a lot of my weaknesses in that area of the business. And so like, she's a very valuable asset and it's terrible. Why did I say asset? Like, is that the, even the, like, is it even the right word when you're talking about people? Like how, how horrible is that? She's a very valuable person. Yes. Um, asset. Like I'm like, like I'm a banker or something. It sounds terrible, but, um, but yeah, like, but you have this tool that, that isn't like, t- like, tangible and what we normally would consider in the empirical sense somehow you can lean into to give to help give you something that you're lacking i have no idea if this is going to make sense clint but i'm going to offer it up anyway it really the the tool as you describe it to me is the skill of mindfulness um So mindfulness to me is truly trying to be open and aligned in any given moment. And it's sure not easy and I'm not successful every day, all day long, but the more I can practice it and the more I can be that way, the more hopeful and optimistic I feel and the less skeptical and judgmental I can be. Um, and it really is, it's mind, it is my, it is active, hard work, mindfulness. <laughs> yeah. No, that totally makes sense. Yeah. No. And I'm, and I'm, a um, yeah, I'm a hundred percent on board with that. And I think it's, it's, again, it started with a lot of the time that I spent, you know, one of the first, um, one of the first teachers I had in the Buddhist space at, uh, Avalokita Shavara Buddhist Temple in uh, Denver. I remember it was one of those aha moments because she was like talking about this concept of like, it's like trying to hold a balloon underwater. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to have your hands on it just right and you're going to be able to hold it underwater. Mm-hmm. But your attention and, and it's, it's fleeting. And so at some point, the balloon's going to get really wet and it's going to move and it's going to pop back out and you have to grab it. Mm-hmm. And hold it back under and hold mm-hmm. it just right until you kind of, and it is, I think being, being able to be mindful. And what I think is interesting is at that moment, I had gone from this concept and this idea of like, to tie it back to the Japanese thing is like a lot of times with Japanese Zen, it's like stare at a blank wall, try to go blank. It's kind of very mer- mer- militaristic yeah. in some reform in some forms. Um, and I might be bastardizing it quite a bit there, but to this point of like, I think what you're talking about is this idea is like now when I sit down in my daily mindfulness practice or meditation practice, whatever you call it, I really try to sit with the ideas that make me uncomfortable. I try to sit with the anxieties that I realize are tough to handle in the moment, but so that I can feel in every fabric of my being what that feels like. So that when I'm in that moment, awake and conscious or whatever you want to call it, or in my day-to-day life, as soon as I start to notice those sensations, it's it's almost like a dog command. It's like I'm training myself like a dog and I simply say the word change. 
you know, yeah. you start to feel those things you're like, okay, I know what's going on. And at that moment I can say, okay, change. And it allows me to release a lot of this pressure. So I, I'm a hundred percent on board with this idea of mindfulness and being able to be present and understanding your emotions and like the mecha- more mechanical or empirical side of your being and how that flows and works to be able to shift your side out of it. And I sound, and I probably sound like holier than thou, like I'm, I've got it all figured out, but I can tell you I don't, you know, and it's, yeah. it is a constant struggle to try to be good at it. And there, sometimes there's weeks that go by where I get so caught up in work that I don't practice that. And I'm like, I have to get back to it. I know the things that work and it's when I get out of those things that they no longer work and, and things start to become a problem. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent, hundred percent hear you. And your change in my language is familiar in a negative way. So I literally, like, I can literally kind of in that moment go, Oh, something's feeling familiar and in a negative way because something's gone wrong in the past. Right. So yeah, that's, um, yeah, again, very succinctly put. You explained that well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I would love to hear. You know, we talked about this idea that now you're still working, um, you're still working a couple of days a week, but no longer yep. as an owner, you're, you're, but you're still, you're still practicing medicine, but now you're working in the, in coaching and in trying to help others. Um, what are some of like the more common issues that you're seeing, you know, with a lot of people that are like, look, I'm in this situation of, of crashing, you know, the plane's on fire. I don't know where the parachutes are. Yeah. What do I do? What am I seeing? Yeah, um, like is there like is there kind of like a common thread that you're seeing a lot, or do you think it is a really unique position for each person? And I guess where I'm going with that is we had talked a little bit before we talked the first time is that you know you felt that America was the states was a little bit ahead of the game in understanding mm. some of these problems, but yet it seemed like in Canada that things are a little bit far, you know, further behind. Right. And so I guess where that question stems from is having that background knowledge. It seems like you've kind of picked up on these underlying threads mm. that are problems and that, you know, things that we should start to address. Right. Um, I think it, I think it really does relate to strongly to that being versus doing peace. And traditionally, the answer, we think the answer lies in the doing, doing better, doing faster, doing smarter, doing more slow, like whatever that doing looks like. Um, and I truly think that um, coming at it from a more organic being, self-oriented, self-awareness, self-responsibility, self-management space um is the is the difference and and i think the people that have realized they have an issue and actually been able to facilitate true like transformational change meaning it's going to stick and it's a different way of being and doing um have been successful and those that are still trying to get that easy fix answer, how do I build a better boundary? What does it look like? What are the five steps? Um, it's not working out so well, you know? So it's, that is why the coaching piece spoke so strongly to me and why I, and, and what I see happening in the U.S. is it's more about paying attention to the positive psych- psychology 
and the things out, the tools that the rest of the world has that are outside of veterinary medicine that we haven't actually looked outside the box for. Um, and I was, I was having a conversation with someone last week, actually. And when I came into this as like this coaching piece in the Canadian veterinary space, it's a pretty new and novel concept. And I felt like this, like little fish in a big pond, you know, like swimming upstream. I like, I don't know how to do this. And it felt very, what's the right, it felt like I had to like pull veterinary medicine along. And it, I've been stuck in that for a while, like a, a long while now. And last week, I actually started thinking about it differently. And it's not so much about pulling veterinary medicine along as building bridges to from for veterinary medicine to the outside resources and um, things that are out there that I don't think we really know about because and not through any fault of our own it's just we were very busy being veterinarians and veterinary professionals and doing veterinary work right um, so yeah I, that's that's what I see is it's it really is about looking for those other looking for those other resources and how to leverage them for what our challenge finding those strengths that will offset our challenges. Why do you think that VetMed has been just like either A has been resistant or B just hasn't been listening to a lot of these tools that are out there? That is another great question. I don't know whether it's, there's a resistance and I don't know if it's like this in the States, but there does seem to be a resistance to believe anything that doesn't have some sort of veterinary experience, endorsement, relation, like some kind of tangible connection, right? And I don't know if other professions are like that. Like, I don't know if lawyers don't believe anyone that aren't lawyers when they say something and you know like I don't know if other professions are like that maybe they are um but that was another aha moment when I was in my coaching school actually telling somebody a story about veterinary medicine why we're so unique and she was a lawyer and she's like well, I, I don't think that's unique to veterinary medicine and it was that and that was a moment I'm like what do you mean it's not unique to veterinary of course it is. I'm a veterinarian. It's got to be unique to me. Um, maybe it's because we're such experience-based learners. Maybe it's because we have such strong strengths in that head wisdom, focused, diligent, tangible, evidence, experience-based stuff. I don't know. Good question. Though. It makes me think of another theological story or something that I think fit, fits along with it so well. And I think there's so much to be learned. For. Are you familiar with the story of a lot of people are, but of like Jonah and the whale. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite stories um, in the the biblical canon. And I think it's such a beautiful story because people get so caught up on this idea. It's like, how would this guy get swallowed by a whale and, and live in a whale's stomach for three days? And I'm like, you're completely missing the story of this like <laughs> really beautiful story that's told in four chapters. But I mean, the gist of it is, is that God calls Jonah and says, God, I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to tell the Ninevites to repent. And when you do that, they're going to repent and they're going to turn to the one true living God. And why this is so unique is that Nineveh was like 
are Al Qaeda, United States is Al Qaeda, but like a hundredfold, right? Like they would, we have historical records of them actually like skinning Israelites and, and Jews alive, right? And then in, in this crucifixion, well, I'm not sure crucifixion was at, around at the time, but these really, really horrendous torture practices. And there was a serious war between the two factions. And so for this guy to be, to go there and to do that, he's like, you're sentencing me, sentencing me to death, right? And he fights this idea of going there so much so that he gets on the ship. And I think this is where the, this story, I think, really ties into what we were talking about because he's on this ship and this storm comes and it starts beating the hatches. And the, the, the other guys on the ship are like, okay, who's your God? Like, who did you piss off? What is going on here? Right. And they're praying to their gods and nothing's happening and nothing's happening. And then he finally confesses to them. He's like, yeah, like, like God wants me to go to Nineveh. It's not going to happen. And so he's like sleeping in the, in the bow of this ship. And then the storm keeps beating it until eventually like, dude, we got to throw you off. Like they're, who is your God? So they, they get it right. Like they're hearing the message. And yet the moment they throw Jonah off the boat, the seas calm and they get it and they understand it. But what I think is interesting is a lot of times I think where that story kind of ties in is that sometimes there's this greater message that's like outside of our community or outside of our, our social structure or whatever the case may be is, but we refuse to listen for whatever reason because of our own stubbornness or are just fighting to say, no, we got it all figured out. That doesn't apply to us. Right. Mm-hmm. But everybody else is like, no, we get it, dude. <laughs> like why are we're, we're getting the message. It's working. Like what, what is the problem? And I think you're right. And I think that they're, um, what, but what I find unique about that is also is that like in vet, man, I feel there's so many people like yourself that are willing to have conversations like this and really get us back to a place where we can start to, I think, again, this idea of having good conversations is, is where a lot of this stuff starts. And being, because if you can have a good conversation, then you're, you're open to listening. And I think that's one important aspect of it in listening to, and if we can listen, we can hear about these other, these tools, like you mentioned, like positive psychology and all this other stuff to help us become better. Right. Yeah. Yes. Listening. Powerful skill. <laughs> so on that note, do you happen to know, um, Josh Weissman or, Dr. Philip Richmond. I have definitely heard the names and I'm connected to them through social media. Okay. I've never had the uh, pleasure of meeting them. You should, I will definitely make an introduction because they are, I, um, if I understand right, they're working on trying to find a bunch of like a people, like a coalition of people like yourself mm-hmm. to really shift the voice in veterinary medicine. And I think you should definitely be a part of that conversation. And the work you're doing, because again, you're talking about this struggle, right? Like you're, because I, I totally get it. Like when it comes to cybersecurity and data protection, like I'm, I'm very much just like standing on my soapbox and I'm like, someday <laughs> the world's going to burn. And then you're like, okay, we got to go talk to that guy because he's been telling us, right? Like right. he's been yeah. telling us the apocalypse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, so I very much understand that. And a lot of times it's like when I see other vendors and stuff, in the space supporting the same message. I like, I love it. Right. Cause I'm like, yes, you guys see it too. It's not just about me. It's really about flipping the industry as a whole. And you should definitely, definitely talk with them. I think you'd be a very valuable asset in helping us shift this narrative. 
um, I would be, I would be grateful for that connection. And I, that is, that is truly my goal. I really, that is it to a T almost like it really is to create transformational shifts here to a better place for us, for sure. As a, as a community. So with that being said, I feel like I've already taken up so much of your time. We've already gone a little bit over the hour here, but um, oh, this is what I love about it. I never know where this conversation is going to go. And I love to talk about like, to bring it back to a point, like you said, like, you know, it's like this, your learning is like this spiral and it's like you're yeah. peeling back the layers and, and to peel back the layers on your story and hear your struggle. And I think hopefully, I know I learned a lot and, and I think that there's a lot that other people can learn from it and a lot that we, yeah. And I think that's the purpose of this podcast is to share the, find amazing people doing amazing things and get their story out there. And so with that being said, this is my only second other canned question of all of it <laughs> is, um, you know, what, what are you, is there anything you want to talk about that you're, you know, anything you want to promote, any events you have coming up, where can people find out more about the work you're doing, the coaching that you're doing? shameless self-promotion, whatever you want to talk about or promote, the floor is yours. <laughs> well, okay. So thank you for that. Also not my strength for sure. <laughs> um, I am really, so as the veterinary coach, um, definitely I'm really um, hoping to work one-on-one -on -one with um, veterinary professionals or people even in healthcare or whatever to um, help them create that transformational change, right? And, and and create those shifts. I have an awareness that that probably means there's been a crash and burn moment or thing um, that is going to be that universal kick in the butt that is the same thing that I got as well, um, which means that those folks are going to be experiencing some pretty intense challenges when I meet them and I'm okay with that and I'm comfortable in that space. Um, and so that's, that I think is another piece of the, of the challenge is, you know, how do we, how do we reach those folks because they're struggling? And then how do we also then shift to be into the more of that proactive preventive wellness space to try and not have to crash and burn before we have these uh, realizations. So that's, those are my two main purposes and main goals as the veterinary coach and so keen to work as a community for the community with other wonderful people like you who are doing truly amazing things um, with us and for us. So, um, you know, collaborating and co-creating and having these conversations and really listening um, is what I is what I'm really passionate about. So thank you so much for um, having this conversation with me. I feel like we could talk for hours. So yeah, no, I really thank appreciate you. it. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. And another thing that really resonated with me, you just said there is, you know, like this idea of like people coming to you after it's too late. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, unfortunately we get calls from hospitals at least a couple times a month where it's like, can you help us recover our data? Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, because they, they get they get hit, and then it's like, yeah, but I wish you would have called us like a month ago because we would have helped you not be in this situation. Regardless if you work, you use our us and our tools or not, we could have at least given you some guidance as to not yeah. be there in the first place. Yeah. So how can 
if somebody's listening to this and maybe they're on the edge, but they haven't hit that crisis moment, like for us, you know, they haven't hit that ransomware moment. Yeah. Um, what are maybe some things that they can be aware of and more cognitive of to, to think of, to maybe get ahead of the curve and to start thinking about looking for help and making change before it's too late? It's a great question. So I think that no matter what, we all hold stigma, right? Like we hold stigma for reaching out. We hold there's something about that's a weakness or that's not going to serve us well or that somehow that's going to backfire on us. Um, and I, and I think that tide is changing and that is not the case. Um, and there are so many people now out there that can help and do have tools and resources and bridges to other things to be helpful. And it doesn't mean you're not going to be able to practice anymore. It doesn't mean you're going to have to sell your practice. It doesn't like, it doesn't mean any of the things that we assume. Right. Um, and so I think, um, having that openness to reach out for help. Um, you know, you had asked about what are, what am I, what am I up to on that front? So I am actually going to be, I'm working with, I have worked with a, a social worker, clinical mental health practitioner, and we are going to be running a 12 week, um, group skills course on doing this, like actually how to do it. Interpersonal relationships, emotional intelligence, the effects of trauma, in our workspace and all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, looking for programs like that, that are evidence-based and are, um, you know, hope helping to create that change um, that you can, that, that that person can align with and resonate with and mold to what they need and, and working with someone that has an awareness of it. It really is very personalized and unique, right? Which is where the coaching piece really does fit nicely. So if you still have spots available, how do people find out more about it? How do they get signed yeah. up? Do they have to be in Ontario or is this going to be a virtual event or? So right now that course specifically is uh, Ontario and Nova Scotia as the two provinces, because that's where our mental health care provider is um, licensed. Um, that may expand. That may, I'm, we're going to, it's a pilot, it's a pilot project. I'm calling it a pilot project. Okay. <laughs> um, and to reach me, so the website's fairly straightforward, uh, www.theveterinarycoach.ca. Um, and my email is leanne at theveterinarycoach.ca, L-E-A-N-N, no E. Um, and so happy to, talk to anyone anytime, email back and forth, correspond, check out the website, any of those things. Thanks for yeah. helping hold the, the, the contact info. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. See, I just said, I just said to ask the right question. Yeah. Yeah. Not my strength. <laughs> you told you. Not That's my right. strength. <laughs> it wasn't mine either. And then it just becomes good. You're like, at some point you got to figure out how to just be, so yeah, you just got to be, you just got to, all right, this is okay. I'm going to be shameless about it. Whatever yeah. is what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But I, but I yeah. think it's, you know, it's interesting because I'm right there with you and actually you know, I was talking with one of our staff members and it was this idea. It was like, yeah, like I'm just not good at like talking with our customers about the financial side. Can you help me with that? And I'm like, you'll get good at it. You know, like it just, it is awkward at first when you're talking about budgeting and how much do we have for this? And, but you just get, you know, you practice enough and then it's okay. And you're like, yeah, I get it. It's awkward at first, but so I'm just here to help you along. That's my, that's my coaching gift to you <laughs> to help you be a little bit better at shameless self-promotion. Yeah. 
Thank you, Kent. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, uh, taking up like an hour and a half of your time now. So I really do appreciate it. Normally I try to keep it to an hour, but man, sometimes I just had so many questions for you and I thank you for going long here. Um, You're such a breath of fresh air and I really appreciate it. And I'll make that introduction. I think you would be, these two guys are in the States, so they're probably going to be in like a Canadian division or armory. So it's like the perfect